Father, what a beautiful declaration you get to put on our lips. Whatever our circumstances, we know that you are still in control. That in our shiniest of moments and in our darkest nights, because we are in you, it is going to be fine. It is going to be well. You are making all things new. You are not done with us yet. Father, clarify our vision to see these things in the midst of our turmoil. To grasp every difficult opportunity is an opportunity to praise you. Father, teach our hearts gratitude. Give us strength of character as we find ourselves becoming more and more like your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I remember one of the hardest days that I ever had in ministry. I had felt a whole lot of confrontation occurring, and I was probably more tempted than ever before to make a decision and to lash out in the same way that I felt like I was being attacked. When it feels like you want to put aside the values and, then the, and the, what you're being taught about the fruit of the Spirit and the values of the kingdom, to simply lash back in the ways of the old self. And in this time of weakness, when I was really, really struggling, I will never forget this day, even though this was more than 10 years ago. There was two Dort students I was meeting with at the time and another person from the community, and they showed up at my office and they kidnapped me for the day and took me away. They gave me a day of blessing. They poured back into me, and while I wanted to make decisions out of what I wanted to do, they spent an entire day reminding me of who I wanted to become. I don't know if you've ever been given a gift of friendship like that. If you haven't, I'm sorry and I pray that you do. And if you have, then you know how meaningful it is and you want to do the same thing for somebody else. I was so blessed by that day. I felt like some sort of healing took place within me knowing that I didn't have to stand alone. Because friends have the ability to do that to us and for us. We all need an advocate, someone who fights for and fights beside. As we walk now this semester through the Gospel of Mark and look at the mighty deeds of Jesus and how it is that he restores people, we come across a text today where there are those laboring on behalf of somebody else. And this becomes a story about healing within friendship and also healing on the outside that Christ enacts and also healing on the inside that Christ enacts. And there's all these layers that start working together. And I just want to walk through that text with you this morning. This is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. By digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This text kicks off five consecutive stories of opposition now that begins to climb as the, as the fame of Jesus begins to grow and he starts to catch the attention of the religious elite. What's interesting, though, too, is Mark goes out of his way to point out to us in each of these texts, whether it's the casting out of demons or the healing that happens in this passage, this one and all the ones that follow, that Jesus is coming with a proclamation of the word and a word that is enacted. Jesus is coming in word and in deed, and he comes with a very holistic gospel and provides a beautiful model for us in our own ministries. Jesus' word always produces an effect. Jesus' word is supposed to be changing us. I'm always surprised when students come in and they talk about how the fact that they want something different to be taking place in their spiritual life, and you ask them the question, are you spending more time in the Word? And so often we're not, even though this is the only listed offensive spiritual weapon in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you want to go somewhere new in your faith, if Jesus wants to take people new, if he's going to break down walls, if he's going to chase away demons, if he's going to enact healing, it's going to take going deeper into his Word to pull this off. And so he comes in word and deed. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. This word crowd becomes an important word in Mark's gospel. The Greek word is achlos, and it occurs 38 different times in Mark's gospel. And it it comes in increasing repetition in the next several chapters as the reader begins to ask themselves, what is this crowd? And why is this crowd that gathers around Jesus always getting in the way of the people who really need to encounter him the most? And what Mark wants every reader to be asking themselves is, am I part of the crowd or am I part of the one who, or am I one who actually is trying to get to Jesus? You see, the fans of Jesus actually become obstacles to the friends of Jesus. And so often the same is true today. We have to ask ourselves, am I part of the crowd? Am I part of the obstacle of somebody else being able to get to the way of Jesus because of the way I'm living or because I'm just simply sitting as part of the fandom around him? Or am I truly a friend of Christ and a disciple wanting to be changed by him? We're going to see this word come back again and again, so go ahead and file that away. Achlos, the crowd, is opposition. Verse 3 and verse 6 are set in opposition in the way Mark sets this up. Some men came, now some teachers of the law. And now notice what Mark's going to do with these different groups of people. The reader is supposed to be asking themselves, who is going to join Jesus on the way? Who is it that Jesus has come for? Who is it that is actually responding to Jesus? And of course Mark wants the reader to be asking themselves, which of these people am I? Some men came bringing a paralyzed man. And by the time Jesus actually steps forward and says, Son, your sins are forgiven, he says, When Jesus saw their faith, pistis, faith, faith always finds a way to get to Jesus. Faith is always, it's, it's an actionable trust. It's a trust that always does something and, and creates movement towards Jesus regardless of obstacles. 
And these some men, just these generic guys, these some blokes in this story are set in opposition to the religious leaders of Israel. Some men came, and listen to the verbs that these men, some men, just some guys are doing. They are bringing, they are carrying, they are making an opening, they are digging through a roof, they are lowering. These, this is actionable faith. These men are doing whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus and get themselves to Jesus. They will not be denied. Would you, on behalf of a friend, dig through a roof in order to get to Jesus? You have to understand, there was a huge crowd there that, in those days, right? It's described at the beginning of the passage. As they're digging through the roof, there has to be stuff falling into the crowd, people all looking up. Who is this that is interrupting the teacher? This had to be an incredible distraction as we're all gathered in this room. Imagine somebody digging through the roof right now. Scraps, dust, all falling down. Everybody would be looking up. Who are these obnoxious people getting in the way of everything that we are trying? This is a holy moment, people. And then descending from the rafters comes this guy on a, what? It sounds like a Celine Dion Las Vegas show, doesn't it, right? Something starts coming down. What on earth is going on here? But these, pe- these men will not be denied. Their faith is so actionable. And look what they are doing on behalf of somebody else. And I'm so challenged by this text. Would I do these same sorts of things? Would I embarrass myself if it meant bringing somebody I knew to Christ? What lengths would you go to to bring somebody in your life who was hurting towards Christ? We're so afraid of being embarrassed in front of crowds or offending somebody that we're so afraid to lead people, to take people, to bring people, to tear through a roof, to do whatever it takes to bring somebody who is hurting to Christ. And yet that is what a friend does in this text. It is so concerned for the other. Normally, too, when we talk about healing, we're all most interested, of course, in our own healing because I know how broken I am and I know how much I need Christ to put me back together again. But we have to be also about the other. And, and I love how just some guys in this text are so interested in the healing of their friend. They are his advocate. They are breaking down barriers. And the question is, is the church acting like this today too? Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this. He said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. The church is only the church when it exists for others. Some guys doing this. But listen to the verbs that the teachers of the law got. They're supposed to be the religious elite. They got titles like reverend and doctor. But listen to what they're doing. Some teachers of the law were sitting there. It's amazing in the Gospels how many times Jesus is about to do something amazing, healing people that are broken, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are sitting there. Actionable faith will always work on behalf of somebody else. It will do stuff. It will fight to get to Jesus. But the teachers of the law, the ones who are supposed to be caring for those who are hurting, are sitting there. And the one gift that they have, their knowledge of the scriptures, they're not even using for anybody else. Mark tells us in the passage, they were thinking to themselves. Not thinking on behalf of the community. Not teaching the word as Jesus is doing. They're thinking to themselves. Their greatest gift is still being ministered only back to self. 
And then they finally do all this stuff. They tear through the hole to create a scene. The moment occurs, and there's this paralyzed man laying on a mat, and no doubt everybody knew who this guy was. If there are paralytics within your community, most people are aware who these people are, and we see the hurt. But listen to what Jesus says. Son, your sins are forgiven. The most obvious thing that anybody would have seen would have been the fact that this individual is paralyzed. But the eyes of Jesus always dig deeper than that. If you really want to root out sin when working in counseling or in helping situations with people, everybody knows you don't deal with the symptoms. You've got to dig all the way down. You've got to ask the questions to trace it all the way back to its root. Where is the real problem of hurt coming from? In a healing story in John chapter 9, we understand why forgiveness becomes such a huge part of this text because it gives us a glimpse into their culture. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. Everybody believed in that culture if you had some sort of physical affliction that you were being punished by God, that you had sinned, you or your parents or your family, like obviously somebody did something wrong. And so this also is what held back everybody's compassion towards those who were hurting. So Jesus doesn't say first and foremost what any one of us would have seen, not looking with the eyes of man, but looking with the eyes of, that only Christ could have. He sees the deepest affliction within this man that everybody in the community would have thought that he is like this because he did something wrong. But the man doesn't even ask for forgiveness. You notice that? He doesn't even say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for everything I did wrong. Will you please forgive me? No, Jesus' forgiveness is so liberal, it is ridiculous. It's just spread out all the time. It doesn't say he looked into the man's heart and knew it. It doesn't say any of that. Just, your sins are forgiven. Blanket, washed. That is the first big healing that takes place in this text. And the one that Mark wants us to see is more significant than the fact that the paralytic gets up, takes his mat, and walks away. There is a healing ministry that needs to take place in the church today that has to do with the forgiveness of ourselves and of other people. There are way too many Christians walking around. We harbor grudges. We have anger. We have hatred towards our brother for something, towards our parents for something, towards somebody in our family, towards a past boyfriend or girlfriend. And as a community of faith, we are not calling it out. We are allowing people to stay in their own state of heart paralysis because they are angry. And we just sort of let this go on and on. If we really loved each other and if we were a friend for one another, we would also be interested in the paralysis of our brothers and sisters' spiritual well-being. There are many of you here who have done something silly in your life, and in your mind it's one of the most embarrassing things. In your mind it probably defines you, and there's a forgiveness even of yourself that needs to be extended. We hold people prisoners in moments of our past when we don't forgive them or when we don't forgive ourselves. And Jesus is so interested in the redemption and the movement of the reconciliation of all things into the future. He's not inter interested in holding people in their past. And so the first thing he offers this man is forgiveness. 
And of course, this catches the ire of the teachers of the law because who alone, other than God, can offer forgiveness? This is very clearly stated, Leviticus 24, 10 to 16. If anybody does this and you are not God, everybody else has put their hands on your head and they're all supposed to stone you outside the camp. This is the same sin, of course, that Jesus ends up, according to the teachers of the law, getting crucified for. Verse 8, we keep reading. Jesus immediately knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. These two little words amazed everyone. 34 times in Mark's gospel, people seem to be dazzled by Jesus. But again, being dazzled in the setting of a crowd isn't what Jesus is really after. The forgiveness, the heart of the matter is the deeper issue. And everybody seems surprised, and the readers got to ask themselves, why? We have never seen anything like this. But never seen anything like what? Never seen a paralytic raised? Never seen somebody say your sins are forgiven? Never seen friends who loved somebody so much that they were willing to rip through a roof, cause a big scene, embarrass themselves in order to see their friend be restored? Yes? All of the above? We have never seen anything like this before. Well, why not? Why shouldn't the church be tearing holes through buildings in order to get people to Jesus? More often than not, we're keeping people outside the walls of our precious religious institutions. Tear down the walls. Rip off the ceilings. Get those who are hurting into the presence of Jesus and watch people be made whole again. This is the purpose. This is for what we are called. Jesus seems, Mark seems to be telling us that this is who Jesus will say are those who will join on the way and follow him and be true disciples. It isn't the teachers of the law. It's not those with positions of privilege and power and authority as the world has deemed it. It's not even those who can dazzle a crowd. We have never seen anything like this. What if that was the line that the world was saying about us right now? Because we're removing any obstacle in order to get people to Jesus. We make fools of ourselves if it meant bringing about our own healing. If we were so excited about the forgiveness of Jesus and what it could bring about in people's lives. If we knew that if they weren't enslaved to sin that they could truly be free. That their souls would run and maybe even still their legs would too. And the healing that Jesus can put together within us. This is the mission of the church and this is our identity and this is who Mark is trying to lay out for us are the people who will join Jesus on the way. Who are interested in healing on the inside and on the outside. A faith that stirs up so much inside that it simply pours out but that's where Jesus starts. Who here is going to get excited today about a friend of theirs bringing to Jesus? Bringing Jesus to them. Now I know theologically we don't use the term we bring Jesus anywhere. Jesus is everywhere. I'm using the language from the text so allow me to play a little bit with words. But to be able to point out to someone here is God at work in your life. 
Here he is. Who will you be a friend to? Who will we help see that there is a forgiveness in Christ that sets us free from everything that enslaves us? The ministry of the church, forgiveness. The ministry of the church, the healing of nations. The ministry of the church. Tear down some holes for a friend today. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the reminders and the teachings within your word of how you aren't just interested in putting one part of us back together, but all of us. Father, forgive us for all the ways that our lives are so self-consumed and we don't see the others around us or fight in order to create encounters for them with you. Father, we pray that this day you would lay upon our hearts somebody, somebody in our lives that we can speak your truth to, that we could tear down some sort of wall, that we wouldn't be the obstacle, we wouldn't be the crowd that is actually getting in the way of people getting to you because we're passively sitting by or we have a faith that is simply reserved for ourselves like the teachers of the law in this text. Father, will you make our faith full of verbs? Will you make our faith actionable, interested in you, the even better advocate for all who are hurting? In Jesus' name, amen.